the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. I am Jim, and I am with our guest preacher from this past Sunday at Liberty Church Collingswood from Liberty Northeast, Kyle Connect. How are you? Doing well, brother. <laughs> yeah, Doing well. I, I, I bet you are. And Kyle, you told me right uh, before we started recording that this is the first time that you have ever appeared on a podcast before. What's, what's your nervousness level? Yeah. Uh, l- nervousness is maybe a a five out of you five know, or out of 10 out of, t- out of 10 i feel okay. pretty i feel pretty confident in your hands oh you know mm, i like that walk me through this <laughs> I, I promise to be gentle it, it will be a lot of fun so <laughs> kyle this past sunday at liberty collingswood it was a really busy week for me it was also a busy week for kyle so i needed i didn't think i could fit sermon prep in this past week because it was an all pastors retreat for liberty in western pa so i asked kyle but kyle was on the same retreat so kyle you're much more efficient with your time than 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 i am continuing our sermon series from genesis chapter 9 the last part of the chapter 18 to the end kyle it was a great sermon here's here's some praise that most guest preachers may not receive you were the only guest preacher in memory where multiple ones of my children unsolicited told me afterwards that you preached a great sermon. So it it was Clara, my fifth grader and Micah, my 10th grader at different times when we were not even talking about church stuff. They said, each of them, dad, I want you to know that Kyle did a really great job on Sunday. So please know how incredibly rare. (laughs) Uh, And I I don't think they've ever told me that, for example, either. So it's not just rare for guest preacher praise, but just for any preacher praise at all. That's hot. That's high praise. (laughs) So thank you. You know, one of of your congregants, I was, uh, I told you on Sunday, I was on my way back into the building and I accidentally started like a receiving line. So I got to hear some feedback from some other people. Nice. And one woman, I think she'd only been coming for about a month or so. Uh huh. Um, but she said that was one of the best Presbyterian sermons I've ever heard on the subject. Wow. And I, uh, I laugh because I was like, I, you know, that's my first Presbyterian <laughs> sermon. <laughs> that's 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 pretty funny. I yeah. So take take the win, take, take the compliment. Did, did you get any other like nice feedback from the, from the receiving line? Uh, yeah, everybody was really gracious to me. So, um, yeah, yeah, your people were good to me. Awesome. The, the, the most dubious or discouraging feedback I've ever gotten on a guest preacher is this is years and years ago. Now somebody preached at Liberty church Collingswood and, uh, congregant came up to me the next Sunday and said, Jim, I really liked the preacher last week. 
And then there was a pause. And I was like, yeah, that's great. Uh, but he said, no, I really, really liked the preacher last week. I kind of wish that he'd preach here more often. <laughs> yeah. I was like, thanks for well, that. Well, see, the thing that people don't recognize is um, when they hear you every week. Right. It's like listening to your parents give advice. Like there's a certain point where you don't listen as well as you would. So right. coming in, hearing me once or every now and then, uh, I get more credit than it's due. Yeah, that's probably true. I Years ago, at my previous church, when I was in Texas, our campus minister was, was bit part of a national campus ministry organization. We were in Lubbock, Texas, where Texas Tech University was. And, and he said, when I take all my students in the campus ministry to the national conference at the end of the year, I'm both bemused and discouraged by the fact that like after the seminars given by other campus ministers all the students come back glowing about how awesome it was and my friend said even though what they tell me was amazing to hear from these other campus ministers is the exact same stuff that i've been telling them all year <laughs> but, but put them in a put them in a beach resort make it at the end of school and it's just magical all, all over the get all over again. So, so Kyle, you, you definitely had that, that, that guest preacher shine this past yeah. Sunday. It, it, it was great. So take the win. <laughs> yeah. And, and just for the work, just for the record, Helen Wolves out there, I've, I've never been invited to preach at Liberty Northeast. So both, both Kyle and the other pastor at Northeast, Evan, no, no, uh, I, I don't clear the quality bar going in the other direction, but that doesn't stop me from inviting right. Liberty Northeast preachers. To come well, there's over. three of us now. Oh, that's right. There's, there's Tim as well. So, okay, fine. It's an excuse, <laughs> but I'll, 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 I'll pass, pass the message on to Evan. <laughs> okay. So let's call it Stormy Monday, Kyle. All right. And this is where we get some general orienting thoughts to the sermon. So you did not choose this passage. This passage was chosen for you. And I'm sorry again that you may have gotten one of the most difficult passages so far in the Genesis sermon series. It just happened to come up this week. I was not ducking it. Before we get to the, the text itself, what, what was going on in the life and heart of Kyle contextually as you were writing this sermon over the past couple of weeks? Yeah, so this was a, an interesting one. Um, on a few levels, like you said, it was kind of a, a hectic time in general. So I'm on my a month long sabbatical. Liberty's been really good to my wife and I, and I'll mm. that every year. Um, uh, but with that, this month I had uh, the week before I was in Colorado for a bachelor weekend for a friend of mine that I've known since I was in like third grade. Yeah. Um, so so this week had a lot of travel. I was uh, I had come back the weekend before. And then was off with you guys um, on the second half of the week. So, yeah. Um, so I was doing my sermon practice in a different rhythm than normal. It was kind of broken up into small right. pieces. And, yeah. And so uh, I'm not sure how it is for you, but oftentimes just getting into the right headspace, um, it sometimes feels like the longest part of the process. Yeah. Um, so breaking it up into different pieces was interesting and then yeah it's just a challenging passage man so um it was humbling 
to work on this message because I couldn't rely on myself. And I think ways that I often could lean on myself and my own, um, my own power. I really had to just like a lot of prayer went into this, a lot of contemplation and meditation. Yeah. Um, and I probably, and, and this is something I, I warned about it in the sermon, but I probably like dug way too deep into some things regarding the passage and surrounding the passage. Um, that do you, do you, do you mean during the sermon or in your preparation the, time during my sermon preparation, I probably, um, dove too deep into some of the things I was researching just because of the nature of my own mind and wanting to know everything. Right. Yeah. Um, so that clutters your mind sometimes. For sure. And I get Kyle for, for me as somebody who, who's a primary preacher at, at Collingswood, some, some sermons are better than others. Some weeks of preparation are better than others. And what makes an easier or harder week of preparation sometimes for me is I'm going to a passage and I do commentary work from scratch every, every time. But even sometimes in early stages of commentary work for a particular sermon, I can already imagine in my mind where I might go and sometimes think to myself, I, I, have, I have a sermonic toolbox for this. This isn't going to be that hard to, to put together. But then other times it's like, oh, I will have to bravely go where no gym has gone before in, in this sermon to, to, to flex some, some different sets of muscles. And I think it is humbling and a good, a good inducement to, to prayer. And even on those sermons, Kyle, where it is a little more plug and play because we've covered such ground before, we're no less dependent on the Holy Spirit yeah. in those sermons. And we're no less reliant on God doing a work through the preaching of his word that we can't enact on our own. So it, these are good reminders to us that that this really is not to over-spiritualize it or hyper-spiritualize it, but, but, but this is a deeply spiritual and mysterious exercise that we do Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. So yeah, I appreciate that, Kyle, in terms of context calling it stormy Monday once again, before getting into the nitty gritty of the passage, general terms, what were you burdened to get across during the sermon? So what were you praying that God would do in the room and with viewers online as, as you were preaching? Right. So I think, and we'll, we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, but um, after reading and seeing the history of misuse of this passage, mm -hmm. um, uh, it was really on my heart just to focus and drive home the ultimate purpose um, of the passage and the universal applications. Right. Uh, just to keep us focused on, you know, keep the main point, the main point. And yeah. um um, and so for this passage, it really is just that, that warning about the reality of sin and how devastating its uh, consequences are. Mm -hmm. And especially as we're looking right in context, just the beginning part of Genesis, those, those first 11 chapters really are just setting the stage for this global universal problem that sin is for the world. Yeah. Um, and so I want to, I want people to walk away from this week, really reevaluating and remembering just how severe sin is. Mm -hmm. um, and then also just with the hope um, and focus on Christ as the cure for that curse. Um, so that, that's really, I think what I wanted people to walk away with. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. Two things on that. I think, especially, or can I ask, I don't mean this is a patronizing question, but I, but just because I don't know, like how many times have you preached like, um, a, like in Sunday morning contexts? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't have a number. I've been preaching for four or five years pretty regularly. Okay. At my last, at my last church when I was, uh, I was the worship pastor also. Right. So um, I typically would preach about once a month. Okay. Um, which is about the pattern that I, I have still maybe once or twice a month at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, but I also have like a decade in youth ministry where I was speaking. Every Bible week. studies, large group, small group sorts of things. Yeah. And my, my yeah. preparation is uh, pretty, has been pretty consistent throughout. So, okay. Um, so, so I was going to say that you're a, a youngish preacher, which I guess is true. And it sounds like yeah. Kyle, you've, you've given enough messages in different contexts that you're you're not new car smell level of, of preacher but still the yeah, I, I still need polish don't we all and the challenge i think for younger preachers i'll use as a distinction but and it's, it didn't originate with me the whole dining room versus kitchen where sometimes especially with younger preachers there's the sermon spends too much time in the inter- interpretive kitchen where you're just yeah showing everybody how the sausage gets made instead of serving up the sausage. I thought you did a great job of keeping the main point, the main point. And then more specifically with what the main point was, I think there was one point in the sermon where you talked about God's boundaries and grave consequences. You, you, you use that terminology maybe once or maybe more than once. And I think it was very, very, very skills, skillful that you kept, kept repeating it. Actually, the, one of my questions when I saw the sermon title going in, and it wasn't a it wasn't a concern question, but just a hope. Hey, I hope that Kyle gets around to hope and just doesn't leave us with the grave consequences. And you absolutely absolutely did that. So I think you succeeded in communicating a balance between heaviness and hopefulness. So there is a sense of heaviness for the reality of our sin but you didn't leave us hope hopeless. You, you pointed us to, to the hope of the gospel. So, so there is a, a heavy burden for sin, but a lightning by, by, by the grace of Jesus, which relates to, as we go into sun studios, presence of the Lord in this text, let's, let's double click on the best Presbyterian sermon that Kyle connect has ever preached from Genesis chapter nine. For starters, I really appreciated how you connected it to the beginning of the book of Genesis. And I think the story of, of Noah and the flood is such a singularly captivating story that we lose sight of the context and the overall flow of Genesis, whether that's the flood itself, but then, and Kyle, we had talked about this on the phone before. I think I preached the previous sermon here. This is a second, not a last Noah is not the last Adam, but but Noah is a second Adam where second chance for humanity in the world, another new creation after after devastation. And so the so both connecting to the creation in Genesis one and two, and this appears to be a second fall as well. So anything more you want to say about connecting this passage to what's come before in Genesis? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that if this was a classroom setting or if we had hours to talk about, um, I think there's, there's 
an immense amount of hyperlink between this narrative, the garden narrative, but even connections to um, uh, Cain in how Noah's described as a man of the ground. Um, mm, right. And so, so really you can look at it, um, yes, a second creation or a second Adam, but it could also be just looked at as a third, fourth, fifth, or sixth Adam, just in the nature of, um, it's another story that introduces a character which introduces the question, could this be the son of promise? And, you know, what by the second verse in, you find out that it's not, but right. I think there's intention there as, as we read the old Testament, especially in Genesis that every time there's this new son born, that that's the question, like, will this be the one? I think that's a really fascinating lens through which to view these successive characters in Genesis, both on interpreting Genesis in its own terms, but then also such a such a great way to lead forward to to Jesus. When when you set up the question, is Noah the better son, the the prince that was promised, so to speak? I, I leaned over to my fifth grader Clara, and I whispered to her, Clara, do you think Noah is the the promised son? the one that's going to redeem. And she looked at me and said, I don't know, I'm going to keep listening. <laughs> and so you, you seeded that, you seeded that really well. And like you mentioned a moment ago, Kyle, it doesn't take long for that question to be answered in the negative when we get to Noah's fall here in the story. And so let, let's, let's use this segment to go into more detail, including more interpretive detail than you shared in the sermon, one of the nice things about this podcast is that we can go sometimes backwards from the dining room into the kitchen. Tell me about just what was going on in this passage and what happened with, with Noah and Ham and yeah, yeah. kind of a, kind of a doozy or yeah, so. <laughs> you, you put forward, I'll just say this, a few different interpretations I thought and skillfully left them there, but let's, let's, let's go yeah. deeper. Yeah. So, um, so this story, just like so many um, in scripture, it's ultra condensed with few details, but the details that we have typically are really insightful and illustrative. The problem with this story is those few details that we have are also really fuzzy and controversial. Right. Yep. Uh, and so uh, that has led to um, numerous attempts at trying to answer those questions and solve those problems each um kind of bring up their own new questions or their own issues and so yeah uh that's why you know in, in my preparation or how i structured things i really wanted to be like uh, let's answer these questions always keeping the story in context because i think that's the failure as i was reading of a lot of the interpretations that have come out or the applications right. that have um, been really devastating um, in human history is that they ignored the context. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so yeah, so I, I highlighted that one article by, um, who was that by, by Han and uh, uh, Bergsma, okay. uh, Noah's Makinus and the Curse of Canaan. Right. Um, that was probably the most helpful article or journal that I read yeah. My preparation for understanding how the church has historically debated or understood the details of the story. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, from that, there are those three views I highlighted the voyeurism that 
um, ham. Kyle, let me just jump in here yeah. and re- read the verses that are in question. And there's, I guess, sure. two interpretive questions here. One, the nature of Ham's sin or malfeasance, and then also the curse. So the right. the first we see Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. So that's the English standard version. Right. Verses in question. Keep going. Yeah. So so those the two interpretive questions is what's the nature, like you said, of, of Ham's sin? What did he do that was so bad? And the second question that follows is why is his son the one cursed for it? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so, so the three um, primary or most popular interpretations have been, um, like I said, voyeurism that um, he saw his father's nakedness, um, saw his father naked in his tent. Um, and then as an act to shame his father, uh, told his brothers what he had seen, mm-hmm. right? like told them about this, Hey, dad messed up big time. Yeah. Look at what a fool he is, whatever. Um, regardless of how you interpret it, everybody, um, a lot of the commentators that I was reading were pointing out that it's a power move on Ham's uh, part, yeah. no matter how you read, right? It's just culturally shaming your father in one way or another is, is typically a motif um, purposed in kind of taking authority, usurping authority from the father. Yeah. So it's not just that they are laughing at dad. It's, it's him trying to elevate himself at his father's expense. Right. Um, and so that's, so that voyeurism view is one of the most popular and prevalent. Um, mm-hmm. The only real issue that's there. And some, some of the guys I'm reading had um, potentially compelling or at least reasonable explanations. But one of the issues that's there is um, there's not really other stories of somebody seeing a father like that. Right. Um, seeing somebody naked being such a grave uh, sin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that's just something you have to wrestle with, with that perspective. Um, but it's still like very much a respectable one. I'm, I'm torn between that and another um, yeah. The view, the view that I think has the least, and I misspoke on Sunday when I re um, re-listened uh, the other view, isn't that he circumcised his father. That's what I accidentally said on Sunday, but that. Um, yeah. I, he, I was going to ask about that. Go, yeah go, go ahead um it's that he uh this was like a view that gained popularity in like rabbinic circles right um was that ham actually castrated his father right uh to cut off any potential other sons mm-hmm. of noah um and in so kind of elevating his family line yep um yeah i was gonna say i didn't think yeah circumcision was was a barrier to uh, procreation yeah. but you no, know, I, uh, I mean, I, yeah. I'm a newbie at these we things. Would, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be, that would have been bad for the Israelite people if that was the right. case. Um, but yeah, so that was a view, um, that gained some popularity, but, um, any evidence of that being a thing is all extra biblical. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing within the immediate, right. Talking about context, there's nothing within the immediate context. There's nothing within the biblical context. Uh, to to put that in the realm of possibility. Yeah, if if you would have given me kind of a blind taste test and said which of these three, Jim, is a rabbinic gloss, I would have guessed that that, that would be the one. It's really elegant as far right. as connecting in with larger 
Old Testament Hebrew Bible motifs and rationales for stuff, but but it seems pretty pretty tangential to what's actually said in the in yeah. the passage. Yeah, and then um, and then that third view, the incest view, whether it's parental or maternal, mm-hmm. is like it's definitely the darkest yeah. perspective to take. Um, but as I was um, reading and uh, that article that's the the argument that they make is that Mm -hmm. it was maternal um there's actually a lot within the text and there's a lot even just written by moses in the law um and in other torah and uh other biblical scriptures that like point to that being a common motif and Mm -hmm. something that is isn't uncommon in scripture so um in the law, uh, in Leviticus specifically, like chapter 18, just over and over again, uses the phrase to reveal someone's nakedness or to see mm-hmm. someone's nakedness as an idiom for, uh, sex. And it's right. all in the context of, um, incest. Hmm. And what's also compelling about that is, um, before entering into the laws surrounding sex, um, they make the claim not to be like the Canaanite people hmm. um, who practice these things. And so there's like a tie in there. Right. Um, there's explicit texts in Leviticus and elsewhere calling um, those relations with somebody's daughter or with their wife, the nakedness of the father. Mm-hmm. Um and then it's a biblical motif of a son doing these things. Um, two of David's sons um, either tried to take one of his wives, or one of his sons took twelve of his concubines. And right, um, yeah. And uh, and Reuben uh, took one of Jacob's concubines. Um, so there's all these there's these different stories. And so all that to say, um, I'm torn between the voyeurism or the maternal incest view the pro that the incest view has is it gives a clear explanation for the curse being on Canaan. Right. If he's, if he's the offspring of that relation. Um, but preparing for a Sunday morning and you're looking at these things, you're like, I don't, I don't know that it'll be helpful for us to get into all that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, those are some, some, some deeper, darker waters. And I, one of the things I appreciate as a silver lining about some of the dark stories of the old Testament, and it could be a criticism like this, the, why should we believe that the Bible's true? The old Testament's true because it's such a messy, dark, dirty set of characters and circumstances. My, my reply to that is twofold one. Yeah. The old Testament is really, really challenging and we don't want to water that down or say that it's not because it is. But then secondly, Silver lining wise, yeah, there's a lot of really dark, messy stuff that that happens in the Old Testament. But have you read a newspaper or, or looked right. at one online? Yeah, that, this is that, world. Right. This one of the things that confirms to me that this is not just a set of myths in the Old Testament is that the messiness of their world is the same as the messiness of ours. So there is some backdoor confirmation there, even in the midst of a dark story like this one. Yeah, and it's not it's not the first dark story that we will have even surrounding uh, Israel and these people, um, right? 
I was just reminded of Lot and his daughters coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was a Canaanite city. Oh, that's and right. Another story of alcohol and family love. Yep. That leads to a, a people that are a thorn in Israel's side. <laughs> that, so, yeah. this, so this wouldn't be the only story of that. Again, like um, part of the reason I lean towards that view is like, it wouldn't be the first time in Genesis that uh, those kinds of actions are at play. Yeah, Kyle, you, you, you might not know this about me, but I'm a recording artist and I went through a country music phase and coincidentally alcohol and family love is the name of my second country album so amazing all these connections right here let's talk to about whether in the sin or the curse and we don't need to spend long in here but i think it's it's good to name some of the ways in which this text has been misused or caused harm and in the church and more broadly over the years yeah, I mean, this it, it's not even um, just harm within the church, but it's, it's really spread outside of it. Um, uh, a really common misinterpretation is to look at it as the curse of Ham. Right. Um, and uh, depending on who you talk to, it's, it's hard to trace like the original origin of this idea, but a misinterpretation of Ham's name was that it meant dark. Right. Um, and, um, and so then somewhere along the lines, any depiction of Ham or Ham's line was always of a darker complexion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, so multiple peoples have, have taken that as an explanation, um, as if to say that African-Americans or Black people are this cursed race um, that are um, destined for slavery or are supposed to be um, enslaved or lesser. Um, right. And that hasn't just had an impact, um, within the realm of slavery, but I read one article that traced that thinking back to, um, the genocide in Rwanda. And wow. so, yeah. And so like, again, like taking God's text out of bounds, interpreting it out of context, like bad application leads to bad application and it can be devastating. Right. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. So uh, even into recent history, like there, there have been people, especially in the South um, who interpret it that way and, and take that uh, position. And it's, it's, I mean, it's, for me, it's devastating. It's embarrassing as the church to know that there's like the potential um, Christ following Christians that can be so warped in their perspective as to preach something like that when the story has nothing to do with race. Right. Uh, if anything, right. It's, it's proof that there isn't a distinction between races because they're all coming from the same family. Yeah. Um, and then um, also the curse isn't even on like, right. And then just bad exegesis, the curse isn't on ham. It's on Canaan. Right. And we can follow that line of people to know that that's not the case. And so um, it's really it's more a story about um, uh, characterizing the kind of person um, that this curse would fall on and not as much about a specific bloodline. Yeah. Talk about crossing boundaries and consequences. This is a this is a huge one. And it's so strange, to sadly strange that the whole 
cursive ham thing is such a laughably bad interpretation of the passage, but has been used to such devastating effects around the world, including in this country. A couple couple books that come to mind, it's a little bit older now, but a book about racism and culture in the church, Divided by Faith, Michael Emerson and Christian Smith, and then more recently, Jamar Tisby, The Color of Compromise. So yeah, yeah, we name those lamentable aspects of of the church's history. So we we keep wanting to be chastened and humble interpreters of God's word, aware of consequences in, in all directions. So let's talk about muddying the waters, Kyle. The this is where in the podcast we we go from the world of the text to how it engaged us and God's boundaries, grave con- consequences. The, the application part of the sermon, likewise, I thought was really strong, where you were asking us basically what boundaries of God are we crossing, including one will ultimize good things. So you, you gave some, some, I think, good and timely examples. And yeah, that type of application question hits us where we live. How'd you land? Spe- two questions here. What brought you to make that main thrust of application? And then secondly, what brought you to land on the specific examples you used? Yeah. Um, I mean, again, that was something that took like meditation and prayer. And I had a really insightful conversation with you early on before I had, I had started mm, really so r- insightful. writing it all. Oof. Yes. Oh man. I took notes, man. <laughs> uh, but just, just considering, you know, um, I don't know how many of us are planning on planting a vineyard uh, and making our own wine. So at, I thought that was- at, at my old church in Texas, there was a family that owned a grape farm and planted grape grapes and had, had their own vineyard yeah. and line of wine. So more are unusual Jersey, than usual though. Are Jersey grapes a thing? I know <laughs> you better believe it. They're the best and- grapes. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, Take so your just Pennsylvania like... wine and put it back into the little kitty juice boxes where it belongs, buddy. But keep going. Um, yeah, so I'm um, just trying to think like what what are the things today that I, as a pastor, find myself having to remind my people of, warn my people of, yeah, leave them out of, um, and then for my own self as well. Like, where are the things and the places that I um, have struggled either in the past or now, and so. Um, so that's kind of where my application came out of. It was um, just looking at within the church, the division that's happened, which um, is probably the thing that I lament most about the past few years is um, seeing people leave a church family over um, our country's politics yeah, um, and just not recognizing the, the position that we have, the responsibility and call we have as ambassadors, but also the blessing that it is to be um, a part of this new family. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, right away where people's hearts are and, and what they've been um, swayed away from Christ being the focus when, when you see how upset and angry um, people can get over who's in the Oval Office and, um, and forgetting, yeah, that we have a, a different leader, a different king who's called us to something more. Yeah, at the Liberty Pastors Retreat this past week, Kyle, we spent some time 
naming laments in different ways that yeah. we've sustained at our churches over the past couple of years. And one of the themes was, and you see this in tons of national articles written about political polarizations within the church, which is true. But as we continue to register that reality, pew by pew, row by row, it just continues to really hurt. So yeah. I, I thought you wisely identified that as an issue and then strongly but gently yeah, brought us, brought us to a point of clarity and reality with it too. Yeah. Um, and even, and I like to add to that too, I didn't talk about this Sunday, but that same kind of division happens within the church over um, minor doctrines or different uh, beliefs. And, yeah. and so I just like the opportunity now just to encourage people to consider, right. Just like we're talking about this passage to interpret it with humility, because it's, it's unclear in some of right. those details like this. Genesis nine should never be something that the church divides over. And Gosh. I think there's yeah. an awful lot of passages that we can say that about. Um, and so again, like, uh, that's one of the things that um, convinced me that I wanted to be a part of the communion of churches within Liberty is mm. um, seeing distinct churches, uh, but who share a core DNA. Right. And, and so there's different views on different things within the network. And some of those have led to like serious discussion and, and decisions mm-hmm. having to be made on, on what our stance would be, but there's others that we have that freedom right. um, and that grace and so um, that was really compelling to me. Like I wanted to be a part of that. So as someone on the yeah. team, good job. Well, no, no automatic guarantees that we get it right. But a, a constant point of discussion, whether on, on the lead team for our community of churches or full council of pastors is doing that theological triage where these are the important things that, that we hold and we think it's healthier and biblically faithful not to have a ton of flex in these directions, but then in these other directions, it's unfaithful not to have flex and, yeah. and, and say, these are, these are secondary things. What's, is, is it the Ortland book Hills to die on that people are reading right now? The, yeah. I, I've added that to my list, but yeah. Jesus preserve your church as we continue to try to try to figure this stuff out. So Kyle, you also mentioned food and drink and ultimizing family and community as good things yeah. that we make into ultimate things and, and boundaries, boundaries that we can cross. And very, very true. I've, I've heard specifically with the food and drink that, and you can make the argument for this being the case of any of the seven deadly sins, but gluttony being the most prevalent under the radar, undercover of the seven sins where we're gluttonous, but it doesn't even register that we're doing that. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. How, how popular is it or how often do we hear that talked about in a negative light of yeah. food and our relationship to it? But I think like you said, it's so, it's so common and it leads to um, other consequences. There's self image. Um, there's like on, on personal levels, there's, there's things regarding and surrounding that. Um, just, I think of just going to the reality of taking for granted the abundance that we have living where we live. And yeah, um, there's all kinds of threads that you can pull with that. And, right. um, and so, like I said, as I practically thought about it, um, food was something for me that I've had um, an interesting relationship with for a lot of my life. I wrestled in high school and that doesn't do great for your right. um, self, 
and then you really ship the yeah. food. And then um, I just caught myself recently um, just not even considering what I was eating. Um, it being something that I do um, either to fill time, like entertain you or um, make you feel better. And, uh, and I just thought, man, how many people um, are just unaware of what they consume and yep. consumption goes beyond food. But like I said, I think it just needed to be addressed in a context of a passage. That's about what you're putting into yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was something that was recent for me on my mind was my relationship to food. And, uh, and then the final one, family calendars, uh, like I said earlier, I was a youth pastor for almost, almost a decade and yeah. um, family calendars was a constant, um, battle and was something that's prevalent that I got to see the consequences of time and time again, as these families were exhausted, um, had anxiety, were running around, didn't have time for anything else because their kid was on, man, I had somebody whose kid was on like four baseball teams. Right. Uh, and so <laughs> almost every day they were on the field and, you know, the same person would come to me or their parents would come to me, Hey, they're struggling in, in school or they're struggling to get their work done and, and all these things. And it was really easy to point to where some of the issues might be, um, yeah. but there was an unwillingness to accept that or uh, to make the adjustments. And so, so I don't know enough about uh, the people who are listening to this, the people that you have, but time and time again, I've seen um, kids athletics or um, just other engagements take a unhealthy priority where, um, they don't notice the needs of the people around them. They're not generous because they're putting all their money into these other things. Or, yeah. Yeah. Again, just. No, I think that's true. The, I don't have the correct answers for some of these things, but I think it's impossible to say that there's not a connection with families where our youth are more depressed, anxious, lonely than they've ever been before. And also the most hyper-scheduled, and busy that they've ever been to not and not to make that a one-to-one causation but there's at least a correlation there that's worth worth thinking through and and what we do is we forget the the nature of the sabbath that god gave us and and i think that's something just in general for today um we we ignore the reality that it was it it was made for us you know it was made for us not if yeah, it was made for us, not us for it. Right. And somehow in that, we heard that we don't need it. Yep. Yeah. Sabbath is a gracious command. A, gracious. B, a command. <laughs> and we need right. to keep, keep a, not, not that we need to be strict Sunday Sabbatarians, but however we keep Sabbath, we, we need to right. keep it. Kyle, also with, with engaging di- different contexts, going back to the, the hopefulness aspect where Jesus is that greater son another man, man of the ground, uh, tempted in the garden, but stood Jesus of Nazareth. When, if Noah was filled with wine, Jesus is the one that poured himself out for us. A, a, a really skillful set of connections to bring us to the hope of the gospel there. And I, at, at first, I wasn't sure where you were going with talking about both bloods. It, flowing through Jesus, but I, I thought that was a very poetic and striking way to talk 
and then you you connected it to to some personal some personal history and talking about how since consequences are generational and you you have some fears in those directions and yourself you need the hope of the gospel for these things with at whatever level you feel comfortable talking Kyle I yeah. it, it was a it was a daring and vulnerable moment from the pulpit that I think connected with a lot of people yeah and I think I think it was needed in a message that otherwise was kind of um, in some ways academic I think yeah uh, it needed the personal the personal note to see how this really is applicable to us mm-hmm. um, yeah man um, my house growing up was kind of rough. Um, like I said, my, my father was like an angry man in, uh, every sense of the term. And, and so I lived in a house with, uh, a lot of fear and anxiety walking on eggshells for the first like 15 years before he, uh, uh, he left for a few years, walked out. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, so a father, uh, an angry father, um, who was raised by an angry father. Um, it's really hard not to be angry yourself. Mm. You know, Proverbs, I think, uh, don't make friends with an angry man. Yeah. Uh, for you will learn his ways. Um, and so being raised in that household, um, yeah, anger just comes naturally. There's always this kind of underlying frustration um, that I carry or carried for a long time. And, um, yeah, and it feels, uh, inescapable sometimes, like sometimes you don't even know why you're as upset as you are. Sometimes it's irrational. Hmm. Um, and, um, and just seeing and, and feeling that experience, um, yeah, like being, being married now, I've been married for about five years. Um, you learn things about yourself that were dormant uh, for a long time. And, yeah, and, um, right. Like marriage is just a unique relationship. So you have a unique relationship with somebody else. You have, um, unique insights into who you are and you have struggles that you didn't know that were there. And, um, and so, yeah, so there's fear you get married and, and you start to see some of those things that were beneath the surface. And, um, and then as my wife and I talk about having kids in the future, um, without Christ, like, and that reminder that really blessed me this week, just that reminder that, uh, he's greater than that curse, man. Hmm. And, and, uh, we need to take it seriously. I hope that warning was there that like the sins of, of a father, a parent's relationship with their kids really has massive impacts right? Um, that they'll carry with them into their future families. And so for us as believers, that's like all the more reason for us to take our own sin seriously and not, um, uh, uh take it for granted. And, and so, yeah, so, so Christ has been so good to me, man. I get to look back on, um, uh, my life since becoming Christian in high school, um, and thinking about who I was as I entered college and who I was leaving college and my first years in, in ministry and just seeing how, um, sanctification is a real process and, and, um, God's faithful to us. And there really is in him, there's healing and reconciliation and redemption. Yeah. So, um, so seeing that he loves, uh, he loves and is committed to all peoples and, um, and moving from my personal experience there and and just to the story. And I think the beauty that's illustrated in having somebody like Rahab, whose own personal sin before her faith 
She's a yeah. prostitute. Um, seeing her believe in the promise of God, be accepted into God's family, um, and then eventually um, being in the genealogy of Christ, you see his commitment, not just to Shem's family, yeah, but to all yeah. families, right? Like the promise for all peoples, the blessing mm-hmm. for all peoples is fulfilled. Um, and I didn't get into this um, in that morning, but also, right, the promise was to Japheth also, who gets to dwell in uh, Shem's tents. And so, oh. and huh. so you have in Christ, you have the Gentiles represented in the fulfillment of that blessing uh, that Noah gave to his sons. Yeah. Right. So um, it's fulfilled in Christ. Um, Shem's promise is fulfilled through Christ. Japheth's promise and the Gentiles um, really being grafted into God's people is fulfilled. Um, although that was always there for, for the people, yeah. the Gentiles, but, um, and then specifically for this Sunday um, that even the cursed Canaanite people um, not only are redeemed by Christ, but he was a descendant of this cursed people as well. Yeah. It's just like a beautiful picture that Christ really is um, for all of the world and not just for one nation. Yeah. That that's really profound, Kyle. I preached, I think it was just this past December, maybe it was two Decembers ago. I forget from the genealogy in Matthew chapter one. I, I didn't get to some of the specific details, although maybe I should have from, from, from what you were just saying, but I did, but I was sure to pick up on Rahab and talk yeah. about the significance yeah. in the, in the genealogy for there. And going back to what you said earlier, Kyle, again, I appreciate the honesty both just now and in the pulpit talking about some of your family history. One of the, one of the blessings I think of being in pastoral ministry, even though there's a lot of things that are not fun. One of the joys is seeing, having a front row seat in so many cases of beholding generational redemption occur in Christ in the life of the church, where we know so many stories of really broken homes and family situations among our adults, but then to be able to see people with such brokenness in their past. And this includes all of us to one extent or another in flourishing marriages and as they become mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers where, where the grace of God works generation by generation in combat of the curse by, by the grace of Jesus. And so we, we do have hope there. There's a, Kyle, you're, you're a big Bruce Springsteen fan. There's a song of of Bruce's that you know called Long Time Coming. It's from his 2005 album, Devils and Mm. Dust. And it's one of your favorites. It's a song about being a parent. And in the middle of the song, the protagonist, and it's a pretty autobiographical song in this case, uh, says, if I have one prayer for my children in this godforsaken world it's that their sins would be their own um and uh which which you know if you have one prayer for your kids that is that the one you want to pray <laughs> so so on the surface it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but there's also a, a specifically with the springsteen catalog album after album he, he had this run where it, there is at least one song every album about his troubled relationship with his dad who uh, 
or not to equate Kyle, what you just said with, with his, every situation is different, but was an angry man that had a lot of mental illness and, and that sort of thing. So, so, so Bruce has sung all of these songs about struggling under the weight of not wanting to become his father, but then with a later career album saying, however, my kids mess up, I want it to be because of who they are and not who I am. And so it's actually a really, a really wise knowing weighty and profound prayer that our kids sins would be their own and not inherited, not inherited from us. Really good stuff, man. Before we round out the podcast with some bar band cover tunes, Slim Pickens, the, is there anything else in terms of contextual engagement with Muddy Waters that you want to circle back to? Uh, no, I think I'm good there. Okay. So, so you, so bar band cover tunes, these are the references. Could you give us the reference of that journal article one more time? Han and yeah. uh, Bergsma, Noah's Bergsma. nakedness and the curse of Canaan. Nice. What, what journal did that appear in? Do you, do you have that? It's okay um, if you don't. The Journal of Biblical Literature. JBL. Well, I, yeah, I, I think I think the majority of Liberty Collinswood people already subscribe to that journal, and so therefore have have the article in the archive. But but if you don't don't have it, there you have it again. And I think were, were there any other references that that came up in the in the sermon that was that, that was the main one that that caught my ear you had some good intra biblical references wages of sin is death from romans the rahab stuff so yeah lot, lots of yeah, good Joshua references too. too right yeah i think i spent so i read plenty of uh i have a list in front of me of of different articles that i read but like i said some of them so many of them were just focused on tracing the history of interpretation yeah very few um, had much to say when it comes to application. Right. Um, and, um, that was part of like the struggle for this, but, um, yeah, I spent most of my time just letting the Bible interpret itself and, and, and spending my time looking at that, um, the story in the rest of Genesis and as it's placed there. And then looking at some of those, um, other old Testament references, like in Joshua, yeah. in the law. And, um, so yeah, so this wasn't a, like, um, uh, a reference heavy message yeah which is which is totally fine and you for all the for all the reading that you did i think good to keep a good bit of that in the kitchen and so you just served us up a delectable meal guitar slim pickens one thing on my end kyle there there was another hmm, i'm not quite sure where where this is going when you talked about the israelites wandering in, in the wilderness becoming tan thin and rock solid but then I appreciated how, how you brought that home. It, it made sense to me. So yeah, yeah. just uh, like yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't even really a joke. You were just speaking truth. So I appreciated that. Yeah. Observation, you know? <laughs> so if you haven't listened to the sermon yet, make sure that you uh, look for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's see what I, when I gave you, when I introduced you, I said that you're, you're a connoisseur of Western Pennsylvania, Italian food. What did you have at Garda's when we, when, when we went and, and you were very careful about diet that, that, that whole week. Yeah. Did, I forget. Did you keep the diet that night or uh, off the reservation? I, I'm, I probably uh, exceeded my calorie count. I think everything <laughs> on the menu was fried. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so Steve ordered water wasn't and, fried. The, mm, my martini right. wasn't fried. Come on. I had some, I had, uh, some water and some whiskey. <laughs> um, 
And uh, I think Steve, I think I sampled every appetizer on the menu. Thanks to Steve. Right. Yeah. Uh, we got and everything. Then, um, and then, but then my entree was um, zucchini Parmesan. So healthy. Look at you. So still fried, but I got in my <laughs> vegetables for the day. Love it. <laughs> and yeah. by the way, listeners from home, what was the name of the place? Garda's. Garda's, their sauce. Their homemade sauce um, lives up to the hype. It's legit. So, so some people, including my wife Emily, think when I mention Western PA Italian that I'm making fun of it. I, I'm a fan. So, sue us. There, there were, what do you call, ten Liberty pastors that walk into an Italian restaurant? <laughs> that was the question of the. That was the question of the time. night. Yeah, it, and so it was. Well, here we go, Helen Wolves. We have a couple more weeks of podcasts. We are going to take a break this summer again. So if you have any thoughts, postsundayblues at gmail.com. Well, you still can, or else you'll have to speak now and forever hold your peace at least until the fall. Kyle, thank you so much, brother, for the sermon, for the love and the care, for the service to Liberty Northeast, for the service to our communion that you give, for the time during sabbatical that you took not only for the sermon, but also for the podcast, any closing words? I mean, other than appreciation for you guys, I hope this is uh, maybe one of many of these opportunities that, get, that I get to talk to you here. You'll have to tell me after how I did on my first podcast. <laughs> no, it, it was awesome. And Kyle will continue to invite you back to preach and to podcast unless the praise of you for my kids just gets out of control and i and I, I don't know what to do anymore but aside from that let's do it again thank you how was it that was amazing thanks so much for joining us this has been the post sunday blues a preaching post-mortem production of liberty collingswood go ahead rate review and subscribe and you can find all things liberty collingswood at libertycollingswood.org no more post sunday blues here comes some pre-sunday happy well,